I have a hairstyle for every occasion. I call the shots on and off the set. I'm just a Disney-loving, marathon-running Southern girl living in a Jersey world. At home, they call me mom. At work, they call me professor. But you, you can call me doctor. I'm not just any pastor's wife. I'm Pastor Terry's wife. Pray that my patience grows in ever-widening circles. Well, good morning and happy Mother's Day to all of the mothers in the room. We are so happy that you've joined us today, those here and those that are watching online. Um, we're just so blessed that you're with us. Um, as was said, my name is Sharon Smith. I am um, Pastor Terry's wife. I'm privileged to be the mother of three wonderful, wonderful children, Summer, Caleb, and Christian. And I'm also privileged to be the mother-in-law of beautiful Amanda Smith, who's joining me today in the interviews. But it is, it is an honor. Um, I just want to say I know that Mother's Day is very special to a lot of us, but it can also be very painful for many who have experienced loss and disappointment and pain. And we just want you to know that we are sorry for that. But we love you, and we hope that you feel that love today and that support from us. And I think um, you'll be encouraged by some stories that you will hear today. Um, I just want to say real quick a uh, little plug for um, if you ladies would save the date for June 12th, a Saturday uh, morning, we are going to have a special ladies spa day. We have special guest speaker Maria Durso coming. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, we're going to we'll talk about the spirit, soul, and body of a woman. And uh, so just put that in your calendar, June 12th. Uh, without further ado, um, it is our privilege to introduce three wonderful women who have uh, courageously um, agreed to share their stories, and they're so meaningful. Um, one thing I get to do as pastor's wife is I get to, to know so many wonderful women and share our lives together and our stories, and it's just a privilege. And these are three wonderful women, and I think you're really going to enjoy what they have to say. Uh, they're real women. They have real struggles. They've also experienced uh, real pain, but also many real accomplishments and victories. They have a real faith, and they believe in a real God who is faithful. So without further ado, uh, I'd like to introduce Brittany Nicholson. Brittany is the mother. She's the mother of adorable John Blake, who's eight years old. She's been married for 12 years to Matt. He is a, a Marine veteran, <clears throat> excuse me, and is currently working in public safety. Uh, she graduated from Appalachian State University with a degree in health promotion and minor in psychology. She is currently a dog walker part-time, but mainly, as she says, a mom. And she's been attending TLCC for three years. So thank you, Brittany, Amanda. So Britt, dog walker, so you and Matt go on frequent walks daily? Yeah, he's a very okay. good boy. Okay, cool. <laughs> Uh, and next we have Allison Quillen. Um, she is mother of Joaquin, who is six, Valencia, four, and Lucia, who's two. They are so cute. 
Um, she's married to Peter Quillen for eight years. Uh, Peter is a professional boxer who has the middleweight world champion title uh, from 2012 to 2014. He's now a small business owner. There's their family there. Um, <laughs> and Allison has a bachelor's degree from Tulane University in New Orleans and uh, double majored in communications and Spanish. Um, you are a special series producer for the Today Show with Hoda and Jenna. And you've been coming to TLCC for five years. That's great. And uh, also my privilege to introduce Maria Rice Bellamy. Maria is the mother of two twin boys, adorable, Melvin Lucas and John Henry, who will be nine in May. Um, she's been married to Melvin for 13 years. He is a business analyst and computer engineer. Maria has her undergrad degree from Harvard in economics, Harvard and Ratcliffe Colleges, two masters in English from Middlebury College and Rutgers, and a PhD in English from Rutgers. She is presently an associate professor of English and director of the program in African and African Diaspora Studies. Felt like I need a degree just to announce <laughs> Maria. <laughs> Maria has been coming to TLCC for 25 years. She has been on staff. She's served various, in various ministries. She is currently an elder of the church and a friend to my husband and I, and we love her very much. So. So we're excited to hear all of your stories today, um, and we're gonna start with Brittany's story. It's so impactful, and we're so excited uh, for you to share it with us. Um, so Brittany, um, I know that we, often hear a lot about people who live in New Jersey and make the unfortunate move back to the place we don't name, North Carolina, <laughs> excuse me. Um, but <laughs> you're a testimony of the opposite, which is kind of impressive. Um, so I know you grew up in North Carolina with uh, under Christian parents, um, but, uh, and then you met your husband when you were at church camp, am I right? Tell us about that, how you and Matt met. So yes, I was born and raised in North Carolina, and my husband and I went to the same church there, and we were both very involved with the youth, and so every summer, in addition to doing mission trips, we uh, had church camp, and um, one night every year, we had a hoedown, which that sounds very North Carolinian, I know, but I say we did it ironically. Um, Yes, this is the night we started dating. My Wait, husband did not pre-approve this photo, but <laughs> it's all right. We had quite the glow up since then. So, uh, but anyway, so we were at a hoedown. We were matched up to do -si do and I fell in love almost immediately and pursued him a little bit, and a month later got him to ask me out twice. So, uh, so we were high school sweethearts. Um, I was 15, he was 16. And so we dated all through high school. I followed him to college because who needs an education when you can get a husband, you know? <laughs> so um, I have a pointless degree, but I got my MRS. So um, anyway, so we got married in 2008. And even as we were dating in the first early years of our marriage, you know, we kind of talked about what we wanted our family to look like as far as kids. Um, I wanted to have about four kids, but I used to always say in high school especially that I was like, you know what, I don't think I'm gonna have any kids. I might adopt some. Um, and I think I kind of said that jokingly, 
and funny enough, God used that uh, later on in my life. So as um, we'd been married for about two years, we decided to start trying um, for a family. So we know that um, you and Matt have a son, JB, and that God brought you through a particularly unique journey to bring JB into your life. Would you tell us a little bit about that journey, please? Yes. So as I said, we had um, wanted to have a family. In my mind, I had decided that we were going to have two biologically and that we were going to adopt two. And in that order, for some reason, that's what I had decided. So we started the process of trying to have a child. And with my prior history of my health, I thought it might be a little bit of a challenge. So we went to the doctor and got some of the basic medicine you do to help with fertility and stuff. And it just wasn't really, nothing was really happening. Um, so after a couple months to a year, um, of doing that, we basically got to the point where either we were going to need to pursue, um, more extreme measures with like IVF or other different techniques and things that they can do to help with pregnancy. And so at that point, our, I felt like our marriage was like kind of like suffering because that kind of became the focus of being husband and wife was to make a child. And so we were like, you know what, we can either keep going and try the IVF thing, or you know what, we can go ahead and start trying to adopt. We knew we'd wanted to, so we were like, maybe we'll put all of our money and effort into that. And if naturally something happens as well, then so be it. Um, so that's kind of where we started with that. Um, so when it's actually interesting that in your youth, you feel like God kind of prepared you for this in, in multiple ways. Like he put adoption on your heart. Um, and so you and Matt are now in a point of your relationship where you're making the decision to adopt. Um, tell us briefly just a little bit about um, that adoption process and what it okay. looked like. Yeah, so for anyone that doesn't know, um, adoption is amazing, but it's a lot It's a lot of work. I thought it was going to be easier than IVF, but it was pretty difficult too. So, um, But and instead of the physical stuff, you do a lot of paperwork. You get um, a lot of paper cuts is what you get instead. Um, but anyways, so with adoption, there is the initial application process, and you have to fill out tons and tons of paperwork about yourself, how you were raised, how you plan on parenting. You go through finances, you do home studies, all sorts of stuff. Um, so the whole process with the paperwork side of things takes about eight months to a year, just according with timelines and when you can actually get home studies. So in addition to all the paperwork, we had to attend different classes. We were open to having um, a child of a different race. So we took different um, classes on transracial and transcultural adoptions to um, help educate us on things that we may not have known about. Um, but you also, you know, you take the normal classes. We had to take, you know, parent CPR and infant care classes and things like that. So um, for us, the process took about eight months to finally do all the paperwork and then to do all the home studies and meet with our social worker before we became um, like viewable by birth families. So what's the typical timeline for like a family to be chosen by a birth family when you are viewable? How long does that typically take? Yes, so I said the wrong one at 9 o'clock, so you're going to get the right one here. Um, so normally they say it takes about 18 months to three years. I said like a year in the last service, which was wrong. So anyway, sorry. <laughs> um, but they say typically 18 months to three years. And so what that means is basically once you become viewable, it means the state has approved you. And at that point, you are waiting for a birth family or a birth mother to come in um, either pregnant or sometimes 
times with a child already that they are wanting to place for adoption. And so normally it takes that long process between A, waiting and finding your first match, or B, getting matched and it actually working. Because oftentimes the first match you get, the things change. The birth family changes their mind and they decide to keep the child and different things change. So that's what they say. We set, you want me to keep going with that? We set a world record and <laughs> became viewable and nine days later got the phone call that we had a baby. <laughs> yeah. So the funny part with God's planning is that while it is, it was great and amazing and perfect, uh, like I said, my husband served in the Marine Corps and at the time he was gearing up for his second deployment. So what our plan was, was to finish, get all of our paperwork, become viewable. He would deploy for seven months. And then when he came back, hopefully we'd have a month or two and then we'd have a baby. But instead he deployed in October of 2012 and three weeks later we had a baby. So, wow. <laughs> um, so the, um, so the first six months was just us, but like I said, it worked out beautifully. It was amazing. Um, that's yeah. incredible. So <laughs> So this interesting part about the, um, the reasons why the, the birth parents chose you and Matt, you felt were actually going to be a hindrance for the, the process. So um, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so there's a lot of fears that come with adoption because, you know, not for everyone, but a lot of times, you know, when you get pregnant naturally, there's not, I mean, much effort into that, not always and stuff, but with adoption, you kind of have to prove yourself that you are like a responsible person to have a child and that you can do this. And so our two biggest concerns were, A, we were young. We were 24, 25, and most families that adopt are older because they've either having to save up or they've been trying naturally and, you know, do that. So we were worried about that, about being young. And also we were worried about my husband's career with the military because we knew we would move around a lot. And we're concerned that the birth family would want somebody that would stay in North Carolina and stay local so they could visit. So when we actually met up with the birth family and were, you know, asking why they chose us, the two, the only two reasons they really gave us were us, A, we liked that you were young like us. And so that way the child can still live in the same kind of lifestyle that he or she would have. Um, and then B, they, both of them had family that were either military or law enforcement. And so they loved the idea that we were a marine family. So the two things that we were most nervous about that were going to like keep us from being chosen were the two things that really drew our birth family to us. Wow, that's, that's unbelievable. Amazing. Yeah. So basically sometimes the things that we think are impediments um, to our mission, God uses to empower us and our mission. So that's so encouraging. Um, and, and I believe we have some photos of uh, JV's birthday, and at this point, you said Matt was deployed at this was, point, yeah. right? So, so he, Matt met JB on um, Zoom, not Zoom, whatever it was, like Skype. <laughs> <laughs> and this is Matt and JB's first reunion. How old was Matt at, I mean, how old was JB at this point? Let's see. So JB was about six months at that time when I met, met him for the first Aww. time. Yeah, it's so sweet. <laughs> Uh, and then that is you and JV on his birthday, so cute and little. And and then you have a current photo of JB and his birth parents. Mm -hmm. yep. <laughs> That's really beautiful, the way that you guys have um, uh, ha nurtured that connection. Right. Yes. Um, and then of course you guys today with your your family. Um, it's a, just such a beautiful, beautiful story. Beautiful family. <laughs>
Wow, that's beautiful. Um, so we know that a couple years later you experienced an un unexpected pregnancy and a loss. Would you share that a little bit of that journey with us, please? Yeah, so as I said, um, I knew that getting pregnant was going to be a challenge. And so we basically didn't even think about it anymore. We're doing nothing to try to get pregnant. And sure enough, one day got a positive pregnancy test. Um, so obviously we were super excited and joyful for it. Uh, unfortunately, six weeks later, I did suffer a miscarriage. And while it was, it was sad and a hard thing to go through, um, it brought about some great moments for us learning about God and his character and about um, his relation with us. So I was doing some research um, just about mourning and grieving and things, and I came across a commentary speaking um, on the character Job in the Bible. And for those of you who don't know, Job was a very, very godly man, um, but there was a thing with the devil and God. Anyway, uh, so anyway, he had a lot of suffering and lost his family and his health and his wealth and his friends even turned on him and are like, you know, you need to just like leave God. He's doing these things to you and stuff. Um, but the moral of the commentary basically spoke on the fact that there are things sometimes in our lives that happen that are bad things but not necessarily because like we are bad people and have done something. Now, not to say we live in a fallen world or we sin and stuff, but a lot of times with infertility and miscarriages and things, there's a lot of guilt that um, men and women both face of like, what did I do wrong? Did I eat the wrong stuff? Was I not taking vitamins? Was I too stressed? Did I just not relax enough? You know, like, so there's a lot of guilt that like you have done something wrong. And the lesson that I learned from Job and took with this is that, you know, just unfortunately we live in a fallen world and sometimes bad things happen and that there was nothing I could have done differently to get that pregnancy to go to completion, that it was just in God's will. Um, so we did end up naming the child Job just with that lesson to help keep that in our mind. Um, yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Um, and you had mentioned one thing about, um, you know, just the blessing of, of what it meant like to, to know that your child is in, in the presence of the Lord. And yeah, so that was, that. and that's the other beauty that I was able to take from it is that like why I have my child JB and it's wonderful and I love him. He has to be in a fallen world and go through those things, you know, whereas Job he now gets to be in heaven and in God's presence and did not have to experience one moment of sadness in any way. And that is a great joy that I take. And it's one of those that like, I would go through the pain of a miscarriage and all that over again, because that means it's one more child in heaven. Um, so that is the other beauty that I feel from that standpoint with that loss. Thank Amen. you. Thank you. And and just to close, would you share um, how your understanding of God has been shaped through the adoption, how you see him now through the eyes of adoption and what that means to you? Yeah, definitely. So other than obviously the benefit of getting an awesome little kiddo who snuck in over here, um, one of the... <laughs> Hi, Biggs. <laughs> um, one of the greatest lessons I believe our family has learned through the adoption is just 
how it's a perfect picture of the adoption that God has for us. Um, I say, you know, like if you buy a red car, all of a sudden you see red cars everywhere. So with us, with adoption, we now see everything through that lens of adoption. Um, so any verse or any song that speaks of like being of a child of God, it, it immediately perks up our ears and our heart to that. And the beauty that I really see is that I look at JB, and even though people say he looks like me, we have no DNA, no blood, there's no reason um, for it. But he did absolutely nothing as that little baby in the picture to make me and Matt love him. He did absolutely nothing for us to choose him. He did not seek us out. We sought him out and we sought and desired and did work and put in the time and love to make him to be able to come a part of our family and the sacrifice so he could be a part of our family. And that is what God has done for us. Even before we were born, he was putting in the work to make us a part of his family. And so that is the beauty that I see and that we see when we look at JV. And um, yeah, it's just the beauty I see in adoption. And I say in the last service too, that you know, if our desire is to be like Christ and to live a life like him, he adopted us. So everybody should adopt. <laughs> um, but if you are not in the place to adopt, you can always pray for those that are and support whatever way that looks. So that's my little shameless plug for adoption right there. <laughs> Well, thank, thank you so you. much, Brittany, for sharing your story with us. We're so excited to hear from another real woman of New Jersey and hear your story, Allison. Um, so we know that you've worked um, for NBC for the past 16 years. So tell us, um, just to start, how did you get into this field of work? Had you always been interested in, in TV? Sure. So I've, um, for as long as I can remember, I've been interested in TV production. I always found it really exciting and really interesting. And, you know, growing up, I was a latchkey kid and I would come home and make myself a big snack and get on the couch and watch TV. Um, I had two very hardworking parents. Um, but, you know, I was always really interested. I remember watching the real world on MTV and just being really fascinated in the casting process and the behind the scenes. And I just really knew that um, TV production was something that I wanted to be a part of. So when I went to college, I majored in communications, and um, coming out of college, I found out about a program at NBC. It's called the NBC Page Program. Anyone who's watched 30 Rock, the sitcom, will be familiar with the nerdy uniforms. Um, <laughs> but it was a really awesome program to be a part of. It's really competitive just because it's, it's a great way um, into the industry, you know. And um, I applied the proper way, and then I you know, did a little digging, like I always do, and I found out the name of the hiring manager and I called, and I called, and I called, and I got him on the line, nice. and I gave him my 22nd elevator pitch, and I, I wedged my way into the first round of interviews, and the second, and I somehow passed through um, and made it into the NBC Page program, which is how I started my career. Um, the squeaky wheel gets the oil, I love it. for sure. Um, and it was from there that I started at the Today Show as an assistant and later a researcher, an associate producer, and then a producer. But about three or four years into um, my career at the Today Show, we were three hours and we added a fourth hour. And the fourth hour was going to be hosted by Kathy Lee Gifford and Hoda Kopp. And to be honest, no one really wanted to work on the fourth hour. It, it, it then and, and still to this day, it operates on a much smaller budget. Um, it doesn't have sort of the cachet of the earlier hours, um, but I was assigned to join the fourth hour, and I, you know, generally speaking, have a really good attitude about things, and I was, I dove in, 
Um, and it's been such a blessing in my life. Um, not only have I gotten to travel the world and go to the Olympics and, you know, have all these awesome opportunities, but it gave me an opportunity to build a relationship with the anchors, with Kathy Lee and with Hoda. And both of them I view as godmothers in my life um, for various reasons. But, you know, Kathy Lee, she, she moved on a few years ago, but she was such a special person in my career. And I worked really closely with her on stories that were really personal to her. And it gave me a really good insight into who she was as a person. And I'm really grateful for that opportunity. And I, you know, to this day, I, I view her as, as someone I would love to be more like. That's so sweet. And yeah. And speaking of Kathy Lee, she sent us a little video message. So let's take a look. Hi, everybody. Kathy Lee here. Uh, from Tennessee, where I've been living for a while. I just want to wish everybody a very, very happy Mother's Day, especially my precious friend, Allie Berger. So many years together. <laughs> wow. <laughs> How many churches and mothers got a shout out from Kathy Lee Gifford today? <laughs> Thank you, Allison. Um, that's incredible. So you grew up in New Jersey uh, in a Jewish home. Could you tell us a little bit about your faith upbringing? And sure. So Thank I grew you. up in a small town um, in South Jersey, outside Philly, full of Eagles fans. Um, but I grew up, you know, with two Jewish parents. And looking back on my childhood, religion wasn't a big part of our lives. Uh, I went to Hebrew school, and we went, you know, to temple on the high holy holidays. But it wasn't really a big part of our lives. Um, but looking back as an adult now, I can see that culturally I was raised in a Jewish way, and I had, and still have to this day, the most incredibly supportive and loving and encouraging parents. And I think if, if you know any Jewish parents, you'll know what I mean. Um, they really just wanted us to explore and to experience and to grow and to learn. And if we wanted to try something, they were all for it. And if we didn't want to try it anymore, they were all for that too. Like whatever, they were in our corner. And to, I mean, to this day, they are just so supportive. And their encouragement has been, you know, sort of like the cornerstone of, of my career and, and my life and really my development as, you know, into who I am as a person. And they instilled a really strong sense of self in me. I grew up really confident knowing that if I wanted something, I could achieve it. Um, hence my relentlessness of getting into the PAGE program at NBC. I just, it was always, you know, told that I could do what I wanted to do and, and be what I wanted to be. That being said, there were always a few qualities in me that I didn't love, right? I, I was generally like, you know, I can be anxious or I can be impatient or, you know, sometimes I, I think overly competitive or, or, you know, sometimes not celebrate victories in other people. Um, and so I was just kind of always mindful of those qualities within myself, and I just kind of accepted that those were a part of who I was. So um, you're, you know, in the middle of your career, uh, you, at some point in this timeline of your life, you meet Peter. <laughs> Peter Quillen. So um, first of all, what's it like <laughs> to date and be married to a world champion boxer <laughs> yeah he is anyone who knows peter at all um knows that the, the same sort of um excitement and level of passion he boxes with he approaches life with so um you can't be in a room with peter and, and not know he's there let's put it that way he's just um he's full of life full of personality, full of style, faith, you name it. He's, he's, um, he is, he's a big personality and he's awesome. So tell me about, so you guys dated, tell me how you got engaged. 
Yeah, so Peter doesn't do anything by the books, um, which is part of what we love about him. Um, Peter and I had been dating for a little while, off and on. I, I didn't really realize we were on a path toward marriage. Um, I thought he was cute. I loved hanging out with him. But, um, you know, we were dating, and we were going to go on a trip. We were actually going to go to Morocco after one of his boxing matches. And he called me from California and said, what about if instead of going on a trip, we got married? And I said, okay, well, if you asked me to marry you, I'd say yes. And that was it. So I go to bed that night. Again, he's in California. He calls me the next morning, and he was like, I'm so excited. Who'd you tell? And I said, tell what? He said, who'd you tell we're getting married to? And I said, are we getting married? (laughs) Then I go visit him in California, and people were congrat. People I didn't even know were congratulating me. I'm like, do these people know something I don't know? He later told me that, you know, he had had a dream and, and God told him to propose to me. And so I guess that was the proposal. But um, we ended up getting married um, at this awesome, it was like a taco bar in um, Tribeca. And it was half the people there didn't know they were coming to a wedding. So some people were dressed up, some people were in jeans. Um, and because Peter's so stylish, yeah. he had our outfits made. Um, also, a, a lot of the people Peter um, grew up with had never been to um, a wedding with an open bar, and so they couldn't, they couldn't get over it. They're like, this is the best place ever. <laughs> so it was, it was a fun night. So, and I especially love your wedding outfits that were designed, right? They're leather, matching leather outfits. Yeah. So cool. Of course. Thank you. That just speaks to definitely both of your personalities. Um, So you you guys are married now and you made a, a decision on how you guys wanted to raise a family. Sure. It was really important to Peter to raise um, children in Christian faith. Um, He wanted to instill the values of Christianity in our kids and because I didn't have a particular, um, you know, feeling about raising our kids only Jewish or, or even, you know, I hadn't, I hadn't given that much thought to that, um, I was open to it. And I had seen, you know, obviously in Kathy Lee and in other people um, of Christian faith, really good values and really good qualities. And so I knew it would be only a good thing for us. Mm-hmm. Um, so we sort of made the decision that we would raise our kids um, with both you know, just certain traits from both religions, but definitely um, in Christian faith. Mm-hmm. So you're married to Peter, you're working at NBC, you've been introduced to Kathy, um, and you're kind of starting this kind of new faith journey, so to speak. Um, so how did Kathy's faith and life kind of parallel with yours? Sure. So Kathy Lee was born Jewish. She was born Kathy Lee Epstein, and she came to faith, um, I think she was around 12 years old, and I did a whole story with her about it, and I, which I found very fascinating. Um, but over the years of working with her, you know, whether she was talking to someone on the set or, or if she was interviewing, you know, a big name, I just always admired her grace and her kindness. I admired the way she bounced back after adversity. And she just always had skills and, and traits that I admired and, and wished I had. Um, I went through a really, really tough time um, prior to my first pregnancy. Um, I was pregnant right after I got married. I was so, all I ever wanted to do was be a mom. I was so excited. And um, halfway through the pregnancy, I lost the baby. And I was beside myself. Like I couldn't, I couldn't see straight. I couldn't go outside. I, I remember I was so disoriented. I was, my dad was walking me to the bank that I went to all the time in Brooklyn. And I got lost on my way to the bank. I was, the grief was so overwhelming to me. Like, I couldn't function. And I finally, after, you know, three or four weeks, picked myself up and, and went to work. And it was, and I certainly was not healed at all. Um, but it was Kathy Lee who kind of 
led me and she saw that I wasn't myself yet and she just kind of helped me with my perspective and I was so angry and I was so disappointed and you know I felt like I had been tricked like God had played a trick on me or something and I couldn't figure out why this was happening to me um, and it took someone I admired like Kathy Lee and someone with really strong faith to help me see that it was part of a bigger plan and it was preparing me in a way that I wouldn't otherwise have been prepared. Wow, thank you. So you and Peter have been on quite a faith journey um, and then you ended up at TLCC. Would you mind sharing with us how you came here and how this church has impacted your life and your family, your children? Absolutely, so the town I grew up in was um, predominantly Catholic. So my only really introduction to a church had been the Catholic church. I had been for various occasions celebrating people I knew growing up. And I never felt like I belonged. Um, it never felt right to me. Um, and that was my only idea of what church looked like, what it felt like. Um, but when, you know, Peter encouraged me when we moved here, he said, you can find a church that you feel comfortable. If, if you're going to make this sacrifice for our family, you should feel comfortable. So I Googled, you know, non-denominational church near me. This one popped up. Um, I came here. I had a two-year-old, and I was pregnant um, at the time with my middle child. And I walked in the door, and I couldn't believe this was a church. I, I mean, I was just blown away. I was like, you know, I, everyone laughs, but I said, like, everyone's dressed so cute, and it's diverse, and um, everyone's hip, and I just, I really just got a, a really, really good vibe here, and um, if I have time, I can just tell the quickest story, but my, my son was two at the time, and he was going through a, a phase where, you know, something had set him off down in K-Port, and I remember, I was so embarrassed, Mr. John, the amazing music teacher who's now part of our life group ended up helping me get Joaquin to the car and I was I couldn't even get him to the car myself he was like on the floor and I was pregnant and I remember I told my mom and my mom said you know you better watch out because if he behaves like that you're not going to be welcome back <laughs> and and I was and she was right and but sure not but, but not, not about not about here but just in general you, your kid can't behave like that um, and I remember a few days later we got a postcard in the mail and it was from K-Port saying we hope you feel better and like brings tears to my eyes because like that's like that's the mentality here and like I couldn't believe it so um, anyway so through through oh and 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 I also I you know I called a meeting with Pastor Terry I, 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 got, <laughs> I guess I you know I just I I was really interested in learning more and, and I met with Pastor Terry and I said you know there are traits I see in Kathy Lee and and in Mr. John and um, in, you know, the, the hospitality um, group here and, and Julie and everyone, you know, who I'd met here. And I said, I wish I could just be more like these, these other people I know and people that I'm meeting here. And, and you know, and Pastor Terry let me know that like, those tools and those traits were available to me. Um, and that by coming here and, and meeting with Pastor Terry and bringing my kids and, and building um, a foundation here, like I was on my way. Wow. wow. Thank you. Thank you, Allison. That's a really beautiful story, and thank you so much for sharing that. Um, the the merit, your marriage with Peter, your your beautiful children, the journey you've been through. Um, it's just it just shows your your resilience, and I and I love how you've you've gleamed from the people in your life to um, 
help you along on your faith journey. So thank you for sharing that. Um, so Maria, um, we have been friends yes. for a long time. Yes. And it's my pleasure to, uh, to ask you some questions. Um, so you first started coming to TLCC 25 years ago. Mm -hmm. You were a very successful woman already. Um, yet you were in the early stages of some extreme uh, brokenness from a relationship. Um, could you tell us a little bit about the beginning years, please? Sure. When I, um, when I came to the church in 1996, I had sort of come back home. I had uh, lived overseas in southern Africa for a little while and in the South Carolina Sea Islands. And during that time, I'd married. And the marriage was um, abusive on many different levels. Um, so I came back home. I ended up getting a job at the high school that I went to, which is Newark Academy, and um, I got involved with different student groups, and one day I was taking, I had taken a student group to Montclair Kimberly, which is kind of near the old worship center, and I got lost on the way home. I've lived here my entire life. I got lost. And I ended up at a traffic light that was interminably long, and I looked to the left and I saw a little sign that said, Kids Club. And the church I'd gone to in South Carolina um, also had a kids club. I said, I wonder if it's the same kind of church. And so I decided to come visit sometime, and I did. And uh, it was very, uh, it was different from what I was used to, but it was very warm. And I came back the next time, and when I was greeted at the door by name, Maria, you're back, so welcome. I was, I was really shocked. And, and I just, I just, I, it was a point in my time when I really, really needed warmth, I needed kindness, and every time I came, I was greeted with a hug. At the end of every service, um, I had people praying with me, including Denise Korzakowski prayed with me probably every Sunday for six months. And uh, I got involved in um, a recovery group, which was really helpful for me um, with Dr. Ruby Abraham, she's in here too. And um, there are just a bunch of people who really just rallied around me to help me. and. Although I have a really wonderful, loving, and supportive family, it was wonderful to come to this church and have a second family of people who um, I just felt were really constantly trying to build me up. And it was a great time of healing for me. Wow, that's great. And you went on eventually to lead the group mm -hmm. um, along with many other ministries. As I mentioned earlier, um, you were on staff, you were board of deacons, and now a, an elder. Um, and as I said, a, a dear friend of ours, that's wonderful. Um, and, and so as we mentioned, uh, when you first came to TLCC, uh, you were single, you were in a season of singleness. Um, and uh, you'd mentioned to me that you were in a different kind of phase uh, in your life. And I appreciated that you said that you were kind of in a rhythm of focusing on family, church, and work. Um, what would you say to single women who are listening today to encourage them around uh, really embracing uh, their season of singleness? Yeah. Well, I, I have to admit I was single for a very long time, uh, 12 years to be exact, <laughs> and uh, I didn't want to be single, and it took me a while to get used to it, but the wonderful thing about the Life Christian Church was that there were a lot of other single people here. So we kind of developed a group. Um, I think pastors suggest we develop a group, a singles group, and we got together monthly, and we did all kinds of things together. And here I learned how to be Christian and single, and it was really a wonderful experience. And one of the things um, that um, 
one of the things that helped me so much was our constant emphasis on the idea of single and serving and single and successful and, and really inhabiting the space that God had placed us in. So a lot of the people that were single with me are here now and married and, um, and we, we served, we prayed together, we did activities together and, and we kind of as much as we can place ourselves in the position so that God could teach us all he wanted to teach us in this time and we could be as successful in the situation that we were in as possible. And over the course of time, I realized, I said, well, in prayer, God said, I know the desire of your heart. So eventually, I knew that I would get married. I didn't know how long it would take, but I knew it would happen eventually. Wow, thank you. Mm -hmm. That's a wonderful message mm -hmm. to, to all of our single ladies. Um, so you met a wonderful man. Yes. Now I have two beautiful little boys, but would you tell us a little bit about, um, there's a wonderful picture of your wedding. Tell us a little bit about meeting Melvin, if you would, please. Well, I, um, well, well the, the whole marriage thing was a complete God thing. Now, I had done online dating and all kinds of stuff, and I got to the point where I was really tired of it. I was finishing my PhD. I was doing a bunch of different things in church, and one day someone came to me after church and said, oh, I've got someone I want you to meet. And I said, what, really? Um, okay. And uh, what happened was a woman who works, who was a member of the church, worked at Melvin's job, and she ran into him one day at the coffee, getting coffee, and she just had this strong urging that, she, that he needed to meet me. <laughs> now, the funny thing about it was both of us were in a point where we're like, okay, whatever, but um, she knew Melvin very little, knew me very little, didn't even have my phone number. So she had to call someone else to get in touch with me, and so we did this crazy little four-way thing. So I would talk to Mavis, Mavis talked to Sonia, Sonia talked to Melvin, and then da 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 And we did, and eventually Melvin said, wait a minute, can, can I just call her? And so, so he did, and we had a great, long first conversation. So, but before that long conversation happened, okay, we hear <laughs> that, I recall you telling me that um, Melvin knew you had, you were, you know, working on uh, your degree was in literature and you had an interest in literature. So what was, how did he woo you? <laughs> well, one of the things that he told me right away is although he majored in computer science, he also took lots of literature classes because he loves literature. And he then proceeded to recite to me one of the soliloquies from Shakespeare's Hamlet. <laughs> Single men, take some notes. Um, so <laughs> um, we actually have a, a little voice clip of Melvin reading this because uh, if anyone knows Melvin, he has quite a voice. Let's, let's take a listen. So excellent a king that was to this Hyperion to a satyr. So loving to my mother that he might not between the winds of heaven visit her face too roughly. Heaven and earth, must I remember? Oh my goodness. <laughs> Way to go, Melvin. Good job, Melvin. <laughs> so apparently that was, you know, he, that did it. You guys yeah. talked for two hours. <laughs> And then again, for another two hours on another phone call, and you guys began your, your relationship. Yeah, so uh, the first conversation was two hours. The next conversation was two hours. We decided to get together. I think uh, we closed down the restaurant, um, and, and that was the start of it. And we met in February, and we were married in December. We bought a house, 
And uh, because we, you know, had, were a little more mature in the dating scene, we knew, we knew right away, and we decided we're going to start a family right away. And um, so we did what people do, and it didn't happen. <laughs> Nothing happened. And so um, because of my age, my gynecologist immediately started putting me on Clomid and immediately said, if that's not working, you need to seek uh, help from the fertility doctors. And so we started that course, and um, it was um, a very strange, um, surreal situation to be in. It's very lonely. Um, you know, we go to the fertility clinics, and the way that it's set up, you have to be tested um, to see where you are in your cycle. So sometimes you're in the office at 7 in the morning, and I don't like being out of the house that early, three or four times a week. And sometimes you run to the same people. And, but it's, but Although you have all these people together, sometimes a single woman or sometimes a couple, um, no one talks to each other. You all kind of sit together alone in your grief and in your, you know, your, your sadness over this. And uh, we were in that situation for quite a while. So we had a few attempts that didn't work, and then we had um, an IVF attempt that the doctors were certain would work, and it didn't. And this was at the end of uh, December 2010, and so I began the new year just grieved and miserable. Um, I think I remember crying on Sharon's shoulder at some point that time, and she didn't even know the full story of what was going on. Um, but eventually, you know, God kind of picked me up and dusted me off and gave me the strong in, in, uh, impression that it was going to happen this year, that... I just, we needed to prepare ourselves. And so we started to prepare ourselves. Um, and by the end of the year, I was in fact pregnant, mm -hmm. um, which was wonderful. But in the course of that year, which was 2011, which is a really pivotal year in our lives, um, we also dealt with the combined stresses of both of my parents um, being treated for cancer. And so my mother, who's in the audience here at 85, um, uh, you know, is just, tough as nails, she's a scrapper, she's not a very large person, but she's got a big heart and she's um, just my portrait and courage. So I knew that she was gonna get through the treatments no matter how severe well, and she did. And uh, I could look in my father's eyes knowing that he had suffered from lung ailments for many, many years and the light was not glowing the way it usually did and I wasn't sure he was gonna make it. And so um, in November of that year, my father did pass away um, and my mother um, continued on with her treatments, and she was declared cancer-free, wow. I think, around January of 2012. Wow. <laughs> and prayerfully has remained so, um, but she got better just at about the time when um, the pregnancy started to turn for me, and I had blood clots, I had um, iron deficiencies, I was on, I was on blood um, bed rest, and. Um, it was a very difficult time for me. My body went through a lot, but thankfully, my children were born in May, May 7th. They just turned nine. And um, I think they <laughs> And uh, they were amazingly healthy from the very beginning. They're completely vivacious. Anyone who knows my kids knows that they light up a room, and there's never a dull moment with them. Aww. <laughs> Would, would you share with us a little bit of how you got through that time, some things you did, your oh, gratitude? Yeah. And yeah, that was, it was a very difficult time to be pregnant and mourning for my father and trying to support my mother. It was, it was a very difficult time. And there were some awful mornings when I, you know, Melvin would be trying to get off from work and I'd just be sobbing. It's like, oh, how am I supposed to go to work now? But um, the thing that got me through 
in addition to, of course, prayer and the love of my family, the love of my husband, my good friends, was that I kept a gratitude journal. And every day I'd write down, this one called me, this one came to visit me, this one came and brought me a cup of soup. My friend Lisa Valentine put together the pack and plates day. Um, and I started writing thank you notes. And I was just, um, I had to find the good in the situation. And the gratitude really is what got me through. Wow, that's beautiful, thank you. It's, it's so encouraging even to hear that, you know, all of the little gestures that we can do just to show someone a little bit of kindness, it just goes such a long way. Mm -hmm. um, and, and all of those tiny things, even, whether it was just someone dropping off a bowl of soup, added to that, that gratitude that helped build that joy back up in your heart. Mm -hmm. So just an encouragement for us all to remember, you know, just, just a little kindness goes such a long way. So thank you for sharing that. And thank you for everyone who's, you know, listening or present and even in this room that, that played that important role in Maria and Melvin's mm -hmm. lives. Um, so we know that it took you almost three whole years for your physical health to kind of get back to a place where you could run, you know, or, and jump and, you know, play with your kids mm -hmm. um, and feel healthy and normal again. And even during this physical and emotional recovery, this is what blows me away about you, Maria, <laughs> is in the midst of all of this, she, <laughs> she wrote and rewrote uh, and published a book. Uh, so would you briefly tell us uh, the names of these books and just a little bit of, about what they are? Sure. So um, if, you are, if you know the role of a professor, the very first job you have, besides teaching your classes, of course, is to publish a book. And your future really depends on the publishing of your book. So um, it took me a little while to get going on the book thing. But um, just before I was pregnant, like everything else, it kind of fell into place. I, I started to get momentum. And then everything happened. And I had to take a year off. And so I ended up spending the first year um, after the children were born early mornings writing and then a full summer of writing till I finally got the book done. And the book was called, is called, Bridges to Memory, Post-Memory and Contemporary Ethnic American Women's Fiction. <laughs> and it's a look at uh, a lot of contemporary novels that deal with the inherited trauma of, of, of cultural events. So an African-American woman writer might write about the legacy of slavery and how it still affects people to this day. And um, and so that was the book I published. That, was, that came out in 2015. Um, but the book contract came in 2014, which is really critical, because that's when I was up for tenure. <laughs> so I did get tenure. And um, so in 2015, I had tenure. I had three-year-old twin boys and a book. Um, wow. And thank It's called you. a superwoman. Huh? Yes. You. You're a superwoman. <laughs> And the other, the other one that I pictured is, is uh, sort of a follow-up to that. It's an edited collection that I did with a, another professor from Queens College. And the theme is on inheritance. So people from various fields wrote about inheritance and how the past continues to, to stay with us in the present. Wow. Amazing. So you've experienced so many stages of life, um, in relational trauma, seasons of singleness, major health challenges life loss, fertility issues, joys of children and family and marriage, and incredible career goals. Um, what would you, and how would you encourage the other women here today who may be going through some of these stages of life? Yeah, I think um, the, the thing that always holds me that I know is that God is there. So 
Um, we always have to rely on the fact that God is faithful, God is present, God is with us, and um, God knows the desires of your heart. So knowing the desires of your heart, you can trust that it may not come exactly when you expect, but God's going to provide you what you desire, what you need, and, um, you know, and will and we'll always be with you every step of the way in the process. So, thank you. Thank you so much. These are so powerful and encouraging. And I know you appreciate what you've heard today. Um, again, thank you for, for sharing your stories. Um, and if you would, just, I'd like to say a prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you again for this wonderful day. I thank you for every woman, every mother, grandmother, every young single woman, married, widowed. I pray, Lord, that we, every woman here would feel your love and feel your blessings. I thank you, Lord, for using Brittany to remind us that you chose us. We did nothing to deserve your love, but you chose to bring us into your family and to care for us. And for that, we are forever grateful. Thank you for using Allison to help us see that God wants us to live the best life that he has planned for us. And that he even puts people in churches in our lives to help us develop a relationship with you so that we can have a more Christ-like character and develop this deep relationship with you. I thank you, Lord, for Maria and for the beautiful testimony that she is of your faithfulness and of resilience. Thank you that she reminded us how faithful you are through all of our struggles, our challenges, and our victories, and that you love us, and we know, Lord, that you want what's best for us. I thank you again for this beautiful day and all these beautiful people in this room and those watching online. I pray your blessings on each and every one. In Jesus' name, amen. May his favor be upon you.